something about music, isn't there? How many of you love to listen to music? Yeah, I figured there'd be a few of you anyway. And, you know, it's one of those things. In our family, for instance, here, we're, we're on vacation in recent days, uh, driving up to northern Michigan, up to the, the UP, the Upper Peninsula, and, and there's no such thing as silence in our car when we drive. Um, we are a family of music, and, and we play music. And here's the neat thing. This, this has kind of developed on this recent trip as we spend hours in the car together is uh, we, we tapped into the, the best of technology, and uh, my daughter, Abby, ended up playing DJ, and she had her phone uh, plugged in into the phone or into the, the car stereo, and as we're driving along, she plugged into her Spotify app, which allows her instantly to download any song uh, from any time period, at any period of time, any genre, you name it, you just could on demand, and so we as a family uh, would go around the car and say, okay, and, and she would create a playlist based on request. What do you want to hear next? And so my wife and I were, were making requests from the, uh, from the good old days of the 80s. <laughs> yeah. Tunes like by, by Van Halen or In Excess or, or U2 and, and some of these great tunes that, that I just remember being in high school and driving with the windows down in, in summer with my friend Ross and just cranking the stereo. And here we are on summer vacation with my kids hearing these lyrics through fresh ears as a parent going, huh, <laughs> right? But there's something about music and there's something about the uh, the data fees that go with that kind of thing, anyway. Uh, but what a great gift it is to celebrate music. You know, something about music, too, and I noticed this, it would, different songs would bring about different emotions, different memories, different connections. Like, I would hear a song, and I knew exactly where I was that summer and what was going on that summer in context or what was happening at that period of time in my life. And, you know, many songs bring about great memories, don't they? Uh, of joy-filled times, maybe with your family, maybe with friends, maybe in high school or grade school, or maybe in, in other circumstances of life that just bring about an incredible sense of joy and, and happiness. But other songs bring about memories that aren't so happy. And that's the incredible thing about music, is sometimes music can take us to dark places, to places of pain and and struggle in periods of time in our life that weren't so good. And maybe there was a song that connected with all of that. Maybe in ways that brought healing. Maybe in ways that just got you through it. And, and just a, a way to survive a difficult time. There's something about music that has that way to connect with our minds, our hearts, and even our souls. In ways that just speaking can't. You know, it's interesting, I, as we've been saying here in this series so far, um, God recognizes the power of song. In fact, he's dedicated an entire book of the Bible called the Psalms, which literally means songs. And these are songs that have survived not just since the 80s, but songs that have literally, truly survived and been cherished by God's people for thousands of years. And as we open God's word to the Psalms, just think about that, how long these songs have been popular. Uh, we're going to turn again to, to Psalm 42. We read it a, a few moments ago. And to give a little background to this and a, a setup, in your worship folder, it doesn't say this, but if you've ever spent time in the Psalms, 
reading the Psalms, which I encourage you, if you are not in the habit of reading Scripture daily, and, and maybe you're one of those who say, well, that's, that's not for me. I, there's, what can I possibly read in Scripture that will apply to my life and, and real life and application of all of that? Well, I encourage you, if you have not read the Scripture, start in the Psalms, because what often people find there is uh, actually an element of surprise of how emotionally raw the Psalms can be through these, this music and the lyrics that really tap into the, the, the raw emotion, as I've said, but also just the, the difficulties and the challenges of life. And, and sometimes these songs go to dark places. And we're going to see, as we dive into this a little deeper, that this psalm, Psalm 42, uh, goes to speaking to a time of struggle, a time of challenge, a time of difficulty. And as the, the inspired writers uh, are deeply moved to realize there is hope even in the midst of pain in this world. Uh, if you're going through pain today and going through struggle, uh, i got to hunch these words in this song can maybe resonate in your soul today as well. Um, the setup for it, though, and if, when you turn to Scripture, you maybe notice this in, in God's Word, is all the Psalms have introductions to them, and they um, kind of inc- included in that, for instance, Psalm 42. For the director of music is the... Uh, the, the message as it starts off. And um, this is written to Mr. Quapis, right? And, uh, to the director of music. But then it says, a masculine. Um, this is one of 14 or 15 of the Psalms um, that are called masculines. We, we don't exactly know what a masculine is. We, we, we sense it's a musical term or a genre of music. It's kind of been lost through the centuries. What that word completely means, though, when we pull it in through a study of the Hebrew, it, it, it's a word for, for wisdom or a word of contemplation, a word of reflection, that the thought is that, that this is one of those songs that leads one to deeply think and ponder their place or their circumstance and, and who they truly are, which would certainly fit with where the authors go, which we're also told a mascal of the sons of Korah, um, who are they, you might ask? And who? Many of the Psalms are written by David. This is not one of them. The sons of Korah were established in the temple, actually by King David, uh, to be the, the musicians or the, the vocalists of, of the temple. And, and so not only were they singers, but we find out here they were songwriters too, inspired by God to write 15 Psalms or so. And this is one of them. Psalm 42, a masculine of the sons of Korah, contemplative psalm a reflective psalm, and we read it now. Verse 1, I do encourage you to follow along either in your scripture text in your worship folder or turn in the scripture, the Pew Bible, to Psalm 42. And this is what they're right. I wish we knew the tune. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Pause there for a minute. This morning, at around 6 a.m., as I'm standing there drinking my morning coffee, I had walked up to our back picture window, and there was a mama deer, and which literally this doesn't just say as a deer pants for water, it says a doe, a female deer, which brings to mind, of course, doe, a deer, a female deer. No, I'm just... Had to go there, sorry. Um, but here's a, a doe standing in my backyard in my hostas, 
uh, which are all protected by liquid fence, and somehow the deer is standing in the middle, not eating them, thankfully. And, and then my eyes focused a little more, and there's a fawn uh, with her mama. And, and, and what a, just a beautiful picture this was today. But as I'm standing there just drinking my coffee, thinking I'm thankful for morning coffee, I'm thankful for all of that, I'm thinking, what would it be like to be a deer in the summer? Uh, we're going into another heat wave this week. What is it like to not be able to walk over to the refrigerator and hit the dispenser for water and ice? What is it like to have to find your own food and find your own source of water? What would that be like? And what would it be like in a time of drought? The psalmist reflects on that. As a deer panteth or pants for water in a time of, of thirst, so my soul Thirst for you, God. You ever been really thirsty like that? Where you don't know where your next source of water is going to come from? Maybe you've been on a run, maybe on a long walk, maybe you've been on a, a journey in the car and, and you're just thirsty and you're waiting for that next exit to go and get water. So thirsty. The psalmist says, may our hearts have a longing for God in the same kind of way. And, and applied here, too, is have you ever been in a season of drought in your spiritual life? Where you're walking through a, a time of, of, of dryness, and, and maybe it is just you, you can't seem to, to, to devote your time to Scripture, or it's just you're always distracted, and your mind's always racing, and, and, and you're, you're starting to just be dry and sense, where is God in this? I've gone through many times like that. I bet you have, too. It's real. And the truth is, the Christian life isn't like just always up and to the right in our growth patterns. No, there's, there's a lot of times where we just take dives where we're just like, where are you, God? Do you exist, God? Are you, are you available, God? It doesn't seem like your word really applies to me. I, I, I don't know where you are. And maybe you're in that kind of season right now. And the psalmist says, my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Not a dead God, but a living God. And then he goes on, he says, when can I go and meet with God? For my tears have been my food day and night when, while people say to me all day long, where is your God? Notice he doesn't say, where can I go to meet with God? Oh, he knows where he can meet God. Now, he, he's, he's one who understands the importance of, of worship and, and a God who had promised his people he would meet them when they gathered together and, and he, he made his presence known in the temple. On that temple mount, as God's people would gather there for worship, God was present with his people. He doesn't ask the question where to find God or where to meet with God. Rather, he says, when? When can I go? For my tears have been my food day and night. You ever been in a time in your life where your tears are your food? Whether you lose your appetite because you're so overwhelmed with grief, maybe so overwhelmed with shame, maybe so overwhelmed with a circumstance in your family or in your work life or, or, or the lack thereof or, or the brokenness of the reality that your life has become. And, and every night you flood your, 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 your pillow with tears. So much so that you can relate to this. My tears have become my food. A good friend of mine, Ray, a counselor, once said to me, he says, you know, Tears are the car wash for the soul, you know. 
And I like that. It sounds really good, except when you're the one filled with tears. It doesn't feel very cleansing, does it, to be in the midst of tears. And yet the psalmist relates. There are times in the human experience where our tears become our defining role in life. We're just overwhelmed with sorrow and grief. And how empty and how hopeless that can feel and seem. Back in 1852, there was an English missionary by the name of Alan Gardner. And, and he got together a bunch of companions to go on a missionary journey. And they set sail out of England to go and reach people for Jesus. The problem was he went missing along with all of his companions, the entire ship. And, and it was some months later that it was discovered that he had been shipwrecked. And they discovered all of his companions, including Alan Gardner, had all died of thirst and all died of, of hunger on a deserted island where they washed up. And, and it, it's clear they had survived for some time, but when they found this, the, this tragedy and, and what was left behind, they found Alan Gardner's body, and next to him, his dead body, was his journal. And it was clear that that journal was one of the last things he had spent time on while he was still alive. And he had written in his journal, and here's what the last thing inscribed in his journal. It said this, I am overwhelmed with a sense of the goodness of God. What? <laughs> Put that in context again. Okay, shipwrecked, going on a missionary journey for God to tell people about Jesus, and here you are with all your companions, dying of thirst, dying of hunger, on a forgotten island, and you write as the last message in your journal, I am overwhelmed with a sense of the goodness of God. Who is this guy? You know, I, I just like to think, okay, if, if that were me, what would be the last thing I would write? And my sense is, if you found it and you read it, you're like, yeah, we're not going to publish that. And you'd probably write the same, if we're honest. Where does that kind of sense of goodness and hope come from? Clearly, something greater than the circumstance was at work in Alan, Alan's life. You know, the psalmist goes on and says, These things I remember as I pour out my soul. How I used to go to the house of God under the protection of the mighty one with shouts of joy and praise among the festive throng. How many of you grew up in the church? How many of you that was a great experience? Most hands stayed up. Not everyone did. You know, everybody has a different experience growing up in the church. I grew up in the church, and you know what? Many of those memories were wonderful. Many of those memories weren't so wonderful because the church is filled with sinful, broken people. It's a hospital of healing, and, and churches actually attract that. That's kind of the purpose, isn't it? A place of healing. And, and as a kid growing up in the church, I remember, and sometimes I, I reflect in those dry seasons in my faith walk with the Lord when, when I'm wondering, God, where are you? And, and it's being overwhelmed with circumstances. And I think back, man, it just seemed so much easier when I was a kid. My parents take me to church, and I remember just nestling up against my mom and, 
and, and hearing the music and hearing God's word and just feeling very safe in this family. And I know that's not everybody's story, but that was my story. And I, I remember just that gift and that, that simple faith of trust in God. And, and when life gets difficult and those challenges hit our families or hit our, 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 our struggles, and we say, Lord, I remember those days. What, what happened? What, how, did I, how did I get here? You might be asking yourself, as the psalmist does. I remember those days. And then this incredible thing happens. Verse 5. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? When's the last time you talked to your soul? You know what I mean? We spend a lot of time paying our bills. We spend a lot of time just making sure we got groceries in the refrigerator and set and meals planned out for the week maybe. We spend a lot of time making sure there's gas in our car. We worry about all those things. But when's the last time we worried about our soul and just simply spoke to our soul, why are you so downcast? Why are you so overwhelmed, oh my soul? I think the psalmist teaches us what really matters. And the psalmist teaches us that sometimes there's a reality in our life that goes deeper than just the things we can see every day that affects where we are and how we are. Why are you so downcast, the psalmist asked. Why so disturbed? In this incredible verse, put your hope in, what's it say? Hopefully you're looking at the text. Put your hope in in God. For I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. My soul is downcast within me. Therefore, I will remember you from the land of the Jordan, the heights of Hermon, from Mount Miser, where God, you revealed yourself again and again. You kept your promises, your faithfulness to my people. A God who fulfills what he promises and a God who isn't just present in a temple in some distant land, but rather a God who meets with his people and comes into this broken world. And as God's people today, we have that reality we can reflect on. A God who comes near and faces pain and trial and struggle and sorrow and guilt and shame and he nails it to a cross because he himself is nailed there. And as he faces it for us and conquers it and and gives victory and a promise of hope in the midst of circumstances in this life, that he is a God who isn't distant, but a God who has come near. That question isn't where can I find God today? It's not even a question of when. But it's a question of how in every moment, in every circumstance, a God of his promise, a God of his word, and a God who says to you as his faithful child of God, and you say, I'm not faithful, I'm I'm not at all, I I struggle. And, And God says, yes, but I am faithful. And my love and my dedication and my calling over you, I am with you always, Jesus says, even to the very end of the age. Put your hope in God. For I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. For my soul, yeah, it's downcast within me. But I'll remember your promises. As deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls, all your waves and breakers have swept over me. You ever been near a waterfall when you're thirsty? 
You know, we went up to the UP. You want to see waterfalls and hang out with waterfalls? Go up to the UP. They're, I mean, I think they're like every hundred feet or so up there. <laughs> Lots of them. And, and we got to spend time under waterfalls, near waterfalls, and just to hear that sound. There's a reason why a lot of people put water features in their backyard. That sound is cleansing, isn't it? To hear the sound of rushing water and hear the psalmist this personification, deep calling to deep and the water calling out to each other and the cleansing downpour, cleansing of God's presence in his life as a reminder in the time of thirst, in the time of drought, in the time of longing for a soul to be quenched by the mercies and the forgiveness and the grace and the presence of Almighty God. And there it is. What a beautiful place to be. My hope is in God, he says. For day by day, the Lord directs his love. At night, his song is with me. A prayer to the God of my life. An incredible thing. That even in the midst of loss or struggle or challenge or difficulty, to be able to say, by day the Lord directs his love. At night, his song is in me. A prayer to the God of my life. If I throw out the name Horatio Spafford, how many of you know who that is? Got one. Happens to be a director of music. (laughs) Horatio Spafford, not a director of music, but a successful businessman. Uh, Back in the late 1800s, Horatio uh, had moved to Chicago with his family, had five kids, he and his wife Anna, one son, four daughters, and he'd, he'd made quite a name for himself. And uh, as an attorney, successful in business, he acquired uh, a lot of property and real estate in the Chicagoland area, and uh, tragedy hit his family. His only son, at the age of four, died tragically. And as they were grieving that loss, then the Chicago fire hit and, and knocked out a, 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 like a huge portion of his real estate holdings and, and, and facing the financial challenges of all of that. And, and as a family just being broken, there's a family decided to go on a vacation back to their homeland and, and go back to Europe. And they uh, purchased the tickets to get on a ship and, and sail there together, his wife and, and four daughters. And and, and at the last minute before the ship was ready to set sail, he got an emergency uh, situation in his business that he had to tend to, and he, he promised his wife and daughters he would catch up with them later, but he was going to stay, take care of that business, and would be uh, uh, there to, to, to see them as fast as he could. And, and they get on the boat, and, and they, they sail off. And, and somewhere in the middle of the Atlantic, uh, another vessel actually hit uh, the ship that, his family was on, and, and that ship went down in the course of 12 minutes. And his wife Anna p- prayed with, with their, his daughters and, and prayed, God, save us, rescue us if it's according to your will. And, and the ship goes down, and, and the, 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 the telegram comes, and the word comes to Horatio that the ship has sunk. And, and soon after that, he gets word from his wife Wondering if any of his family had survived, he gets word from his wife, I'm the only one who survived. Now what? He went to England as fast as he could to be with his family. But as he was setting sail across the ocean, the captain called Horatio up into the, the cabin and the bridge and, 
and he, he wanted to share a message with them. He said, uh, Mr. Spafford, I just want you to know, and I wanted you to be here. Uh, our ship right now is passing over the waters where your daughter's drowned. And, and I thought you might want to realize this is that place. And, and we find out from his family, um, from his descendants, that right after the captain told him that, he went down and that night penned these words. And actually, they're words that are meant to be sung. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well, with my soul. And it goes on. Maybe you can sing it. It is well with my soul. It is well. It is well with my soul. And we pray. Lord Jesus, how could someone facing so much tragedy write such words? And yet you remind us in your word that as your people in this broken, fallen, brokenness of reality, that we are people that have been given a hope that supersedes circumstance, a hope that wells up in the gift that you were willing to give in your life for us of dying on a cross and then rising again to bring victory, to bring peace, to bring joy, to even bring true eternal hope in the midst of anything that we could ever face. Lord, if we're in a season of dryness today, may you overwhelm us with that deluge of your love and your grace and mercy here today. May we be reminded that it is well with our soul through the hope that is ours in you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.